Hello, and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings community Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. I'm Kikita Kaori. And today we are going to be starting the beginning of a new series that we're calling Enemies of the Empire. We're going to look at various antagonists for your campaigns, in particular antagonists of the entire uh, empire, though maybe at some point we'll get around to talking about the Mantis too. Just kidding, Mantis fans. <laughs> Everyone knows the Mantis have no enemies. No, wait, not enemies of the Empire. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. No, no. And unlike the enemies of the Empire role playing book from Fourth Edition, we're not going to be discussing Ronin as enemies of the Empire, which I seem to recall they were put in there for some reason. <laughs> no, because they're lovely people. And this episode is going to be Enemies of the Empire, colon, Shadowlands. Right. But we do have a piece of news also. Um, We are going to be, at least for the next little while, I don't know how long a little while, be taking this episode more, this podcast, to a biweekly format rather than every week. Uh, It's been very challenging To keep it weekly, you probably have noticed we've had some delays. Um, We did take a long break over Christmas. It's just very difficult to find material when there's no new material coming from FFG. And it hasn't been for a very long time. So we'll slow down our output a bit, make it a little easier on me putting together these notes. (laughs) And... Hopefully, we will be able to keep this series and keep things running. So, sorry about that. Um, I hope you can find other fun things to do. We can always recommend uh, other podcasts to enjoy. Yeah, Maybe our friends in the uh, D20 radio network, you can try some of their podcasts. There's, there's a lot of stuff there. If things pick up from FFG slash Edge slash whoever the heck they've been bought by this week, then things may change. And there are some new novels from Elphavar being mentioned. So as they come in, and obviously as new supplements come in, things may change. But at the moment, we really have to take this bi-weekly. So hope you're not too disappointed. <laughs> anyway, talking about uh, Enemies of the Empire and Shadowlands, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what the Shadowlands is, but we're going to start off by talking about the real-life inspiration for Jikoku and this part of the story, because obviously we don't have any, you know, hell pits unleashing demons in the real world. So we are talking about the real-life inspirations for Jikoku, which is the source of the Shadowlands. So, you know, as always, when discussing real-world religions, we want to make sure that, you know, you know that this is not trying to put judgment on any aspect of those religions there. Even within any specific uh, religion, there are individuals who take these aspects more um, personally and less personally. So, you know, it's always good to, you know, weigh your table and think what's going on. Uh, none of this is meant to uh, 
discuss or evaluate or judge uh, real-world religions. It's just meant to provide context for the inspiration for this aspect of Legends of the Five Rings. Um, okay, so. Right, to begin with, the inspirations for Legends of the Five Rings, Jigoku and the Shadowlands is obviously Jigoku as in real-life religions. Now, the two main religions of Japan historically have been Shinto and Buddhism. Shinto originally did have an afterlife. Yomi no Kuni, which is kind of the lands of, of Yomi. It's more like the Roman or Greek afterlife. There was an afterlife. It's just kind of a place where you go. And it's, it's, it's shadows of the living there's no, it's not specific like a heaven, it's not specific like a hell, it's just a kind of a place where you go. It is considered unclean in Shinto terms because anything to do with death is unclean in Shinto terms. But it's not a bad place you go for being bad or a good place you go for being good. It's just the world beyond. So it just, it just kind of is. Right. Now, on the other hand, in... Buddhism and Japan, traditional Japanese Buddhism, especially older Japanese Buddhism, like we're talking about, there is hell. And that hell is Jikoku. And it is very hell-like. It, you know, as we would term it in, in Western thought, it has demons and fires and punishment and all kinds of creative tortures for all people not for, found worthy of reincarnation. Okay? Uh, so if you are living a decent life and are a, a pretty good person, you will be reincarnated. If you're a really, really bad person, you will go to Buddhist hell. It is not permanent. Yeah. Big, big key thing. Yeah. That is a big key. Yes. It, you go there if you didn't live a good Buddhist life. But after you have served your time there, you would go on to be reincarnated in a better life. You will burn off all your bad bad karma and, and go into a better life. And there are lots of different hells in Jikoku. Oh, yes. And the kinds of hell you go to depends on what terrible thing you did in your life. All of these different hells are considered part of Jikoku. Yeah, and and I think one of one of the key aspects is this is all part of the same system, if you like, that has heaven in it. It's all part of the same bureaucracy. Bureaucracy is not quite the right term, but it's all it's it's all part of the same thing, as opposed to being opposed to anything. This is you know you go you go into Jigoku, burn off all your bad stuff, and then you go go on to something else. When you die, you are judged by King Emma, or Emma-o in Japanese. And this is, like a lot of um, Buddhism, this is imported from, eventually, really, if you go far enough, back enough, it goes from, comes from India and aspects of Hinduism, because that's essentially the origin of Buddhism. It's a reaction to, to the religion that was around at the time, mostly Hinduism, and then it, 
goes through China and gets changed and goes to Japan and gets changed. So ML judges you depending on your previous life. So you can buy off some of the torture for your relatives or for yourself during your life through prayers and gifts and interventions from higher blessed people, uh, bodhisattva or from monks or other, other people. They can intervene on your behalf and get you out of Jikoku faster and back into the cycle of reincarnation faster that, so that you can, you know, do, do better in your next life. So, uh, a lot of what supports monks, uh, even, even in modern Japan is you buy uh, favors, you buy incense, you buy gifts, you buy, uh, you know, you directly give to monks and they will intervene on behalf of your relatives with the, um, uh, you know, gods of the dead and to get you out of Jikoku faster so you can go go be reborn again. Yeah, and this is this is like petitioning the judge at certain times to say, yes, okay, but here are some mitigating circumstances, or but they were a good person and and so we should be be you should go easier on them. There were specific dates. It's like this many days after death you should do this ritual and this many days after death because there is a specific journey that the soul is undergoing according to the traditions. Like at this point after death, they will be going across the river that is the boundary between uh, life and death. And at this point, they are now talking to Emma Orr and uh, I cannot for the life of me find <laughs> the list. I used to have the list. But there, but there are specific days, and this 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 could go on for quite some time. Which would be, and now you want to do this prayer for your your dead loved one, and now you want to do this this other one, in order to to essentially to try and and petition the authorities to be go easy on your on the the soul of your loved one. Right in uh, Buddhist hell, Oni are the beings doing the torturing. They're not, they're not necessarily sadistic. They're not necessarily, uh, you know, even evil. They're unclean, but they're not necessarily trying doing anything other than their job, which is torturing you in horrible ways so that you can, you know, go back and have a better life when you are reincarnated. That's their job. If you have done the sin, that means that you have to be dunked into the boiling pit. You need a being there to dunk you in the boiling pit, and that's their job. And they're not, yeah, they're not doing it maliciously. It's just, look, this is what I do. It needs to be done. They are terrifying when they're when they're described like this. Um, they are they are not. They are really terrifying. <laughs> well, in, in modern Japan. Um, the Oni have kind of become a, a little cute. <laughs> well, it's it's complicated. It's one of those things that's complicated. With the word Oni has kind of migrated and drifted. And I think there's the Oni that live in Jigoku. And you're not going to meet them while you're alive. But there are also Oni that you could meet in real life. Uh, well, when I say real life, in folklore life. 
And people could, if they were evil enough, become Oni. That was a thing that happened. And also you could meet Oni up in the hills and, and stuff like that. And this eventually kind of becomes crystallized into red and blue giants with horns, spike clubs, wild hair, usually wearing tiger skin or, or other animal skin, kind of really primitive clothing, and that kind of thing. So it kind of crystallized into those things. And they were horrible monsters. They'll, they'll, they like to eat people, but they'll also chat with you. They could do. It all depends. It depends on, on the individual, yeah. absolutely. Some of them were just horrific and awful, and they needed a mighty hero to come defeat them. But they're also ones that you could talk to and befriend and stuff like that. And today, very often they are more seen as little, they're kind of cute mascots, is what you see today a lot, which is, which they can be kind of adorable. But in, in many ways, the L5R ogre is that sort of oni. That's, that's pretty much, for, for whatever reason, the word oni in L5R means the horrible beings from hell and ogre means the red and blue giants with the big horns and the big clubs. Right. Uh, and as we said before, after you search your time in hell, you can be reincarnated in, into your life in traditional Buddhist hell. So Japan has this sense of both of these, these kind of afterlives. And where you get reincarnated, there are a few realms you can get reincarnated to. And there's Jigoku itself, there's Gakido, and there's uh, essentially very something very similar to the realm of slaughter, which is Ashurado. Uh, it's very similar to the, the realm. It sounds exactly like the realm of slaughter, honestly. And there's a couple of nice... There's eventually Nirvana, which is the, the nicest place to go to, and I can't remember. There's some other nicer ones. Nigendo is one of the relatively nice ones, and then there's a really nice one. So there are places you can end up in. But Ningendo is is the one most people want to get to because it's real life. You get to see that's if, us. That's yeah, real that's life. us. Yeah. yeah. You can contrast all of this with the Western and specifically Christian version of hell, which is specifically antagonistic to heaven and hates heaven and wants to destroy everything and is greedy and grasping and wants all the souls. I want you all, ah, ha, 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 and then you'll be under my domain, kind of thing. And that's much more what Jigoku was in earlier, in, in Legend of the Five Rings. And that's kind of what the Shadowlands becomes. But that's not really the either the Shinto or the Buddhist versions, so the traditional Japanese versions of the afterlife, just did not have that concept that hell is actively trying to make things worse. But that's kind of what Jigoku is in Legend of the Five Rings. And that may be one of those things where way back when, when they were first doing Legend of the Five Rings, and it was really hard to do the research, and you may even go into a university library and not find anything on Japanese myths and legends, that they kind of went, oh, it's hell. Oh, well, I know, I know what hell is. And that's kind of what you end up with the Shadowlands. So... If you know a little bit more about the real world inspirations, you may have to, we may have to think about, okay, how does the Shadowlands end up being the Shadowlands as it is? And we will have a discussion on that. So put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Yeah. So talk, talking about these different realms uh, of which Chikoku is one and, and we're, you know, we're, 
overall, we're talking about enemies of the Empire, and Shadowlands is like the the enemy of the Empire, but they're very much tied to these are beings from or related to Jikoku, and that's the supernatural enemy from or related to Jikoku. That's kind of the definition of Shadowlands. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about realms and how they work in L5R. Um, in L5R, all realms, which are spiritual planes of existence, they're all kind of overlapping each other, you know, extra dimensions. In Japan, the traditional um, belief was that hell was deep buried in the earth, and you could see it come out in volcanic places and so on. However, there's more of a sense of, you know, this is on the other side of everything, parallel dimension, if you will. Uh, for realms in, in L5R. It's not just, you know, dig a hole deep enough and you get to Jikoku necessarily, though you might. Um, <laughs> all realms have the ability to impact other realms or beings of other realms as they touch them for the longer time that they touch them. So the longer time something from Jikoku is touching something from Ningendo or our world, the more influence of Jikoku kind of smears around the vicinity of this being of Jikoku and infects and, 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 and alters Ningendo. The rules of Jikoku start applying to Ningendo. Okay. That's how this um, in one realm impacts the others. Same goes for Tengoku. The longer... If a, if a celestial being were to come down and stand on the earth, the influence of heaven would start kind of pooling and altering Ningundo around them and make that site a holy place, right? Um, so, and if you had, you know, a hole to Chikshudo showed up, then that area around it would, in, in Ningundo would start um, getting more influence of the realm of animals, like the trees would grow greener and, and the you know, animals would potentially talk, whatever, thing, things there would be more wild and mysterious. So all of these other realms can taint or alter the world, okay? <laughs> that's, that's what the Shadowlands taint is. It's, it's like this influence from, from Jikoku smearing itself around in the world. And they don't really talk about it because we're humans. But, you know, my sense is that Ningendo has its own influence on these other realms. So if there was a portal to uh, Chikshudo, it would be more normal. It would be, would be altered to be more uh, Earth-like and normal closer to the portal and get weirder and weirder the further away from the portal you go because there is a a, a taint of the normal world that is being affected on the, um, the, the, the uh, spiritual realm. I, and, and you can actually look at that because when the eight kami fall from heaven and they touch the earth, they lose a lot of their divine power. That's, that, I mean, they, they're, they're still, you know, more than human, but they are no longer quite gods in quite the same way as they were. So that's, that is an example of how Nigendo can affect someone from Tengoku, for example. 
Absolutely. And they and they do eventually, for the most part, die. So, you know, that's that's something that Ningado does. It makes things mortal. Um so that's kind of what Shadowlands Taint is. This actually goes back to Japanese mythology and Shintoism, how filth came into the world because um humanity kind of came about when uh one of the celestial beings, Inagazami, I believe is his name, comes back from the afterlife. This is Shinto. Uh after trying to rescue his his sister. Sister slash wife slash companion slash counterpart. It's complicated. It's complicated. And he, you know, he fails to, because he looks back, it's very um, Orpheus-like. But he goes to a river and washes his hands of the um, dust or, or filth of the afterlife that he picked up while he was in the afterlife picking up his sister. And then that stuff he washed off his hands brought death into the world and, and humans. That's that's kind of the origins of, of humanity in Shinto, if I recall correctly. So basically, this idea of spiritual taint uh, coming from one realm into another is very Shinto. So, in L5R, uh, this is the Shadowlands Taint, and the Shadowlands Taint could be described as a perversion of the form and purity of the form, as well as sin. So, it's it comes with being misshapen in some way. All right, that's, you know, the, the form is supposed to look like this. If it's tainted, it's going to be altered to be... Uh, a bad looking shape of this this thing and also bad impulses bad desires sin there's still an idea that jikoku especially in fifth edition was made for the punishment of of sin it's got a lot of sin being a bad buddhist or bad bad person um there is the idea that something being not according to the norm of shape is bad isn't a necessarily nice uh, part of traditional religion, especially, you know, here. And it's certainly not something that has been emphasized in L5R. It's certainly not there, but. Yeah, which which we don't want to take as meaning that, because there's all sorts of, when we say misshapen, you've got to kind of, kind of got to put quotes around that. There's a difference between this person has scoliosis and thus their spine is going all sorts of interesting directions, which most people's their, their spine does not go that way. That there's there's that sort of misshapen, and there's also horrible acid dripping tentacles are coming out of their shoulders and eating people. Right, right, right. So I think I think there can be a division between this person has a slightly different body format because of how they're born, and they are being horribly corrupted by something that really isn't human. Right. Um, I just wanted to mention it because it has been. Uh, it, it was a source of discrimination. It was. It absolutely was. It, it was in in, in Japan um, and in the West too. Everywhere else. <laughs> everywhere, everywhere. You, you, yeah. This 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 baby was born with a cleft lip, 
one of you did something wrong. You know, either this, right. this this child did something bad in a former life or the mother did something bad or the father did something bad or... Right. So that's completely rejected in L5R, but the sentiment goes towards spawning tentacles that drip acid. Does that make sense? <laughs> so if the baby was spawning tentacles that dripped acid, that would probably be an indicator for most people in L5R. I'm not sure, but I think something's gone terribly wrong at this point, you know. Yeah, so, so that's... I, I don't know. I just wanted to um, identify where it came from and and draw a distinction and say that 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 is there, but L five R definitely like rejects the whole you know that it's just a misshapen form. But that's where it came from. Can't change the fact that people sometimes suck. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Okay, so. What what I'm going to do now, we're going to move on to the founding of the Shadowlands itself. So now we're talking about how does how does this become, this kind of abstract spiritual stuff, how does it become an actual enemy of the Empire? And that's largely due to the Shadowlands, the actual physical place. And that largely, that comes about because Fuleng falls from heaven and instead of landing gently on Sepun Hill, as everyone else did, he kind of smashes a physical hole straight through an ancient city all the way through, down to Jigoku. So he's both physically and spiritually breaking the barriers between the realms. And then you know, like opinions diverge over whether he was corrupted by Jigoku or whether Jigoku corrupted him. So this may be the fact that... He, Fuling was jealous of his brothers and sisters, angry towards, I mean, understandably angry towards his father who was trying to eat him. I can kind of understand him saying, I, I hate heaven because the, one of the representatives of heaven tried to eat me. That, that can put you off, people. And it, the, the, the possibility is that the kind of hatred towards heaven and the wanting to overthrow everything and the jealousy wanting to have everything comes from Fuleng himself. And so if he does not lose his divine power when he reaches Jigoku, the way that the other eight kami lost their divine power, then it is possible that he has the power to corrupt Jigoku in turn. And then because there is this new hole between Jigoku and Nigendo, everything leaks out in a way that really isn't meant to. Because you can imagine there's all sorts of things that are perfectly fine where they are. Like salt water in the ocean is great. That's fantastic. Everything lives there. Everything's fine. But if you have a tsunami and that salt water ends up on the land and it ends up contaminating fresh water, that's really bad and causes all sorts of bad things to happen. So I kind of imagine that analogy Parts of Jigoku, which ordinarily is fine, it's meant to be there, it shouldn't be mixing the way it is, and that's why you end up with the Shadowlands and corruption and the spirits being corrupted and all that kind of horrible things. Yeah, so we talked about how one realm contained another, and it's, uh, you know, when, when Fuleng broke through, uh, Jigoku had access to and could taint both Fuleng and could taint the land that was near this hole where he broke through. But also, Fuleng is a divine being. 
and has brought with him the divine influence of Tengoku. And Tengoku has, you know, power and leadership and intelligent will. He brought Jikoku organization. He brought Jikoku leadership. He brought Jikoku will, as well as his divine power. So he brought Jikoku a bunch of things it didn't have before that caused it to organize and become an active force. That's, that's the thing I haven't thought of, which is like, not only is he mixing Jigoku and Nigendo, he's mixing Jigoku and Tengoku, which is really, that's like they're from opposite ends of the spectrum. They're not supposed to meet at all. And who knows what happens when you mix those two? And well, we now do. We now do. We now do. We now do know what happens. You get the Shadowlands, right? So before, uh, even if there was, a, even if there was a hole, I mean, around the hole, it would be bad. But the Shadowlands wouldn't actively be organizing to go take over realms because it it just had its its job to do. But now it's got organization and it's got motive and drive. Um, which are, you know, what all the kami bring to Rokugan. So um, it changes it. It breaks the machinery. It does. I mean, and the other possibility is, you know, we Jigoku is evil. In, in L5R, Jigoku is, is the source of evil and stuff like that. And when you think about it, in even in, in kind of real-world Buddhist mythology, where do all the evil souls go? They go to Jigoku. Admittedly, they're supposed to be kept and disciplined and stuff so they're, they're they're kind of contained it is possible that fuleng broke all that when he smashed through and so all the evil and all the all the bad thoughts and just unpleasantness of humanity is now just swirling around unchecked because fuleng broke everything you know the result of all of this is that he ends up turning the oni, turning the mechanisms in Jikoku against the empire, against against the world. And this makes Jikoku a place of damnation and, and not transformation. Though there may be some parts of it machine that machinery is still running. Uh, not too many people have made a uh, careful exploration of the realms, though you can if you want to play in the uh, Wheel of Judgment module. Maybe you'll find out more about them. But in general, uh, that that machinery that once existed uh, is broken in L5R in 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 this particular world, and so that makes the the nice slavering uh, malevolent force to take over the empire that. Um, it's very handy for role-playing games to have an antagonist. Yeah. So we're kind of, to zoom in a little bit more, so we've been talking about Jigoku as a whole, as, you know, as a kind of one entity, but we're kind of going to zoom in a little bit and, and like, what are the actual entities that can become the enemies that your characters come up against? All right, so it's all it's all very well to be to, to have this kind of big overview of this is what Jigoku wants and this is why I got there, but how are they actually interacting with your characters in your game? And so we're going to have a little discussion about that. And one of the things you meet, we're going to start small 
and that's goblins or bakemono. And, well, depending on, on who you ask, one of the origin stories for them is that they are Fuleng's attempt to make people. And they didn't work very well. They certainly have multiplied and were fruitful. So one might say in an evolutionary sense, they're quite successful. But they're not like the best example of, you know, sentient creatures. You know, you'd kind of grade them D minus, I think. You know, they're not very smart and they're not very nice and they're not very organized, but there's a lot of them, it must be said. So, yes, these are these are your your cannon fodder, but you don't want to be hunted down by a giant pack of them. And and there's stats for all of these in the books. We're not we're not going to like try and replace or say what's in the books there. Um, they are good for giving your party low level uh, opponents to get through and really scaring your high level party when they see a sufficiently large number of them. So that's kind of goblins. Yeah, there are sometimes slightly bigger goblins, kind of the equivalent of your Urukai, if you're thinking Western once Western style RPG goblins. And they are sometimes led by ogres as well. So they may not just be individual you know, a swarm of, of little foes. They may have big ones as well occasionally. The next one we kind of talked about, we've talked about Oni in in real world Buddhist hell <laughs> as being these very terrifying creatures that are meant to punish a specific sin. So what Oni look like in L5R is completely up to your imagination. There are some examples. If you're looking for inspiration and you look at the existence of the Oni that are in the game, what you want to kind of think of is what sin, what bad aspect sin, sin is the best word I've got for it, is that Oni meant to... Uh, resemble or, or incorporate. So an example might be Oni no Subaru is a um, well-known Oni that is all about the the sin, if you will, of gluttony. So it looks like a gigantic maw and it stuffs samurai into its stomach hole and it's, it's a visual representation of that particular kind of evil. There are others for wrath or lust or jealousy or rage or, you know, just all different bad things. So those are big monsters. Now, in L5R, especially if you get into, uh, I recommend, if if you can stomach it, Bearers of Jade, first edition, has a wonderful array of the worst, most horrible kinds of oni that you could possibly think of. So they aren't always just a big monster, if you look at it that way, they can be a uh, being that talks to everybody in their dreams and gives them terrible thoughts. They can be the rice grain oni. It looks like rice, but is not. <laughs> it spreads spreads all over the place. It kills anyone near it. It's just they can work to um, seduce, especially early editions, work to seduce human beings to their will yep um they can 
they can they can spread their influence through being heard. If you're talking the Shuten Doji, all sorts of awful things. They're just pretty much anything you can imagine. And I kind of like the idea that because if you can imagine, right? Let's 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 not go into like they're evil because they've been corrupted by by Fu Lang or whatever, but. They're just loose. If you can just imagine the the kind of the skin flaying demon from the skin flaying hell, it was meant to be there for the people who've done the thing that puts you in the skin flaying hell, right? Imagine one of those things accidentally getting loose, right? That would be absolutely terrifying because even though this creature isn't sadistic, it's not doing anything to hurt people. It's not doing anything because it hates people. It's not doing anything because it likes causing suffering. It flays people because that's literally the only thing it's for. That's its job. It's the only way it knows how to interact with the world is to meet people and, and flay their skin off. But from the point of view of the people, that's just terrifying and awful and uh, something that must be stopped. Absolutely. So that's a good way to think of Oni, yeah. It's certainly another way, because I think you also get the ones that are horrible and awful and evil. You know, that's, that is also a thing that happens. But there could be these completely normal ones. And even things like Oni no Subaru, like I said, is, is encompassing greed. It was encompassing greed or gluttony, I should say, for a reason. That's what, that, that was the hell of, you know, punishing people who were gluttons. So it had a, and only there that resembles its, I don't know, sin. <laughs> and there are sufficient legends in Japanese folklore of individuals who become so sinful in life that they actually become oni. That may also be another sort of the oni that you meet in the Shadowlands, because they, oh yeah, someone that bad is going to end up in Jigoku, isn't it? And then if someone breaks the system by falling through it, those people are going to get loose. And so the, you, so there are a whole bunch of different sorts of Oni you can meet if you think of it in those terms. So the highest level of Chikoku, short of Fuleng himself, are the Oni Lords. And Oni Lords are created when a Oni is summoned by or makes a deal with a human being and the human being gives the Oni their name, and then the Oni Lord gets a whole heck of a lot more power. Um, because what, if you, if you look at it metaphysically, this isn't really spelled out, but if you, if you wanted to look at it uh, metaphysically in the framework that we've been discussing, what you are doing is taking part of your divine essence, if you're a samurai, <laughs> Especially, you are descended from Tengoku, right? You are um, you are descended from Tengoku, Tengoku because you are child of the Kami and of Ningido, and you're taking some of your divine taint, as it were, or even honestly, even your Ningendo taint, if you think of it in those terms, your free will, and you are giving it to this Oni. And just like we said, how Fulang corrupts Jikoku by giving it intention and leadership and power and will. So you are doing by giving part of your 
divine essence to an Oni who is of Chikoku, and therefore you are giving it intention and leadership and power and will. And you can argue because um, there's a famous thing from Shinsei who says, fortune favors the mortal man. There is a concept of heroism in Legend of the Five Rings that mortals, people of Nigendo, can do great things because of their willpower. And you could argue that the only lords are getting some of the protagonist's power, which can be used for good, can be used for evil. And you are making a merger of those two things in the Oni Lord, which, I mean, it takes, it's a process that takes a while. Like the, the Oni that is bound gradually increases the power and gradually and gradually and gradually. But if they are in charge when the bond is broken, because like if, if the mortal dies or if the Oni manages to completely take all their power, yeah, they become incredibly powerful and incredibly dangerous and the yeah like akuma no oni is one of those and we saw in the battle of cherry blossom snow that that one individual nearly conquered the whole empire it came it came right down to the wire right and it's a gradual process because you're getting the taint of humanity or the divine into this, you know, this being of Chikoku, that process takes a while. So, you know, it's, unless they can, the human can somehow claim that back, not easy to do, but they could potentially claim that back. Um, that's when you get an Oni Lord. Anyway, so those are some of the enemies. There can be lots more. We, I didn't want to talk about any other ones today because we've, we've kind of talked for a while. We've got some good, good stuff here. And I wanted to have a little bit of uh, free discussion with you, Kovar, about what do you think the benefits or disadvantages of are of using Shadowlands as an enemy for your campaigns? One of the benefits is that pretty much anything of the Shadowlands is automatically horrible and bad, and you should destroy it. And you don't have to think. You don't have to go, yeah, but do they have a point? You don't have to go, oh no, but they are aren't they good people in some sense of the word? Or maybe we're misinterpreting, you know, it's it's not like a peasant revolt where technically, yeah, these guys are coming at you with, with, with bamboo spears and pitchforks, but really they've kind of, you understand where they're coming from. You don't want to just mow them down. If it's goblins, absolutely you mow them down, you know? Right. Some days you just want the good to be good, the bad to be bad, and make a very satisfying thump when they hit the floor. So, <laughs> and and they can be, and you can have at whatever level you want. You can have the kind of cannon fodder. You can just mow th- mow down and feel like an awesome superhero. And you can have the things that are more or less on your level. You can have the things that are really really terrifying, and you all have to work together and be very clever to get get rid of. You can have the, you know, the insidious, you know, threat that's not exactly physical, you know, so you have to, you have to, you know, be pure of heart and you're, or again, you know, you have to find out what's going on and, and be clever. A lot of different options and they're all bad and you should just deal with them. Right. It makes it very good for um, new players to L5R uh, who need to figure out the world and, need to try and get into it, it it gives them an obvious 
obvious place to start and, and a clear purpose. And, and uh, L5R can get pretty muddy, so that's a problem. But there are some disadvantages to using Shadowlands as an enemy. Horror tropes, of course. Not everyone likes a horror campaign. Another is just that you do miss some of the, you know, political and the um, complexity of Rokugan as a setting, especially if you focus just on there. You know, courtiers have to have a hard time working with it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, you can't really influence your way out of an Oni attack. You can't kind of, you know, shame them into going home by pointing out that they're wearing last season's kimono styles. That kind of thing. You can't spread a rumor that maybe Akuma no Oni, oh, are you showing he's making the right decisions? Do you really want to follow him? Hmm, I don't know. And having everyone, you know, it's, it, you can't do those sorts of things. So it, it, it becomes very one note in, or can do. And, and you're just missing out on the, the, the complex politics and the complex law things. Well, Shadowlands enemy, especially an obvious one, uh, should should bring the samurai of the empire together. You don't want to one note your clans because that diminishes the complex politics and the the fun of having. If, if I say, okay, the lion are always bad, then that reduces the complexity of the politics that you can get when you are doing the political and and more intriguey kind of game. But anyone who allies with the Shadowlands is going to be bad. So it's very good for bringing your multi-clan party together for a Shadowlands threat. But if you want to make your party against a clan, throwing Shadowlands automatically paints one clan good, <laughs> one clan bad. So you need to really, um, if, if you want inter-clan politics, you kind of want to be careful around it for Shadowlands enemies. Some Shadowlands beasties can be very insidious, like bog hags. You can you can do the thing where, aha, that wasn't the real person, that was a bog hag. Or that person you like so much is actually this peckle noni who's just pretending to be, and so on. And that can end up, if you overdo that, you can end up with your players being paranoid and not trusting anybody. And everything's a threat and everything's awful and the Shadowlands is everywhere and you can never relax and you can never have any fun. And that can drain a lot of the enjoyment out of the game, which is a kind of a, this is kind of getting into the horror trip. What horror trips do you want to use and what horror trips do you not want to use, which we're going to get to as a separate thing. But I think that can be a problem. And also the Shadowlands campaign can kind of become all consuming. Everything Shadowlands all the time, you know. So that can wear you down. Shadowlands is a great uh, first campaign as a Shadowlands beast showing up in a place where there shouldn't be a Shadowlands beast as a first adventure. That's that's fine. That's that's perfectly reasonable. And then you can have the dealing with clans as they get to it, but it's not too hard. A Shadowlands campaign as a short-term thing is fine, I think. It can be exhausting, but you're on the wall and you have an epic to do that, that that works fine it can be exhausting but it's if you're trying to do traditional like sprinkle more lightly <laughs> i think there is one other aspect that is specific to the shadowlands in legend of the five rings that it is infectious and corrosive and corrupting which means that 
every time there is a Shadowlands threat, there is a chance that your character is going to become tainted. And that is irrevocable, and it completely changes what your character can and cannot do when that happens. And I totally get why some people don't like that, because you can have your character essentially taken away from you. I mean, not not literally, not immediately, because, you know, the the point where the GM takes the character sheet away and says, okay, now that person's evil. But now this is a thing your character has and is going to carry forever and they can't get rid of it. And that is, I don't, I mean, I've, I've been in situations where I just didn't want to deal with it because that would wreck my, my plans for that character. Exactly. Yes. So Shadowlands Taint is an aspect of horror. We've talked about this taint from other realms. So we've got the source. But the idea of getting your character uh, tainted is a very personal one because people have visions of what they want their characters to do. And for some people who have made a character and are ready for it, it can be a fascinating and really exciting and interesting story to play for that character dealing with Shadowlands Taint. It can. Having it uh, inflicted on your character by the GM or through dice rolls, through a dice mechanic, at random uh, is not cool um, if you are not ready to play for it, ready for it. So that is something you need to talk about with the GM. If If you are a GM, there are other ways to play that out. Um... In 5th edition, in, in some earlier editions, it was very easy to get tainted. In 5th edition, it is quite quite hard to get tainted. And there are opportunities to um, stop the process of getting tainted. And I like that better because you can like, oh, okay, here, we can do this. You, you, get, you get afflicted. But afflicted can be fixed. And it's you only get tainted if you are afflicted and you don't do anything about being afflicted and there's but there's 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 you you can avoid it and i think that's a good thing good change right so um taint ties into body horror body horror having your having your mind or body taken over by some alien thing and this is and this is can be very distressing to happen to to people as well. I mean, I mean, I mean, beyond even that's not what I wanted for my character. For some people, the idea of that happening is really gross and awful, and they hate it, and they just that's not something they want to deal with in a in a game that we're having for fun. And that's that's a thing you need to take into consideration. So this is a Shadowlands here. The question: Once Shadowlands is on the board as a campaign type of nemesis you go back to your session zero or you have a fresh little session zero saying okay we've brought up the shadowlands here we're in in shadowlands territory here how do you feel about having your character tainted how do you feel about graphic depictions of violence how do you feel about um you know different tour trips that's a time where you have another little session session point five or session zero discussing um how you're going to use it. You don't have to say what your plans is. You don't have to tell people in advance if it's going to be a Shadowlands campaign at all necessarily, as long as you've said, you know, it could be. But once you get into, 
into the specifics of it, you should touch base and make sure that if a character gets afflicted, you as GM will provide them opportunities to get unafflicted, for example, um, rather than forcing it all to the worst point. And and you do need to take into account that some people, there's there's body horror in general, because some people find the notion of a person changing against their will, not even their character, just just other people. That can be a, a, a source of, unpl- a, you know, a trigger, basically. And even more if it's happening to their character, because that always feels personal, or almost always feels personal. It can vary. For a lot of people, if it happens to their character, it feels a little like it's happening to them. You know, some people, some people do, do kind of, this is a character I am writing the story of rather than a character I am pretending to be. But an awful lot of us, certainly me, I, this is a character I am pretending to be. And if something happens to that character, it can feel like a bit like it's happening to me. And that can be very unpleasant. In any event, I hope we've given you some good guidance or good thoughts about Shadowlands. Maybe changed, you know, helped you think about it in some different ways that maybe you hadn't before. Thank you for bearing with us this week and being patient through our long breaks. But that's it for us this week. Okay, we'd like to give our, our usual call out to our sister podcasts and so forth. So starting with, with our actual play podcast, Fortune and Strife, who are, I believe, in the midst of season two. They are in the midst of season two. I did want to report they are on a long hiatus, however. So I don't know how long it's going to be. Yeah. However, if you haven't picked them up already, then there's a lot of episodes to come through and they're, it's all good fun. And we should also mention our friends at D20 Radio who have an enormous number of role-playing game-related podcasts of any game and genre that you could possibly imagine. And we are part of the D20 Network. Shout out to them. We wanted to shout out to our patrons, especially this week. We want to shout out to Devadasi. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right, to Bayushi Sunichi, Fortune of Strife, and Emerald Worker B. Thank you for being our patrons. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, where you can store and see longer-term information, summaries of our podcasts, RPG tools, and more. For our patrons, we do have bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our AP podcasts, and... Potentially other things as we think of them or as you ask us to provide them. Online, you can find us at our website, which is courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And our Patreon, if you want to come and support us, is at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that is it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva. And until we meet again, especially given what we've been talking about this week, Keep your jade handy.
Radio, where gamers roll.